Welcome, welcome everyone to the very first episode of Movie Night with Sif. My name is Gabby, I'm the Marketing Content Coordinator here at Sif. I'm 22, I'm a Leo, and I'll be your host on this lovely new podcast. Guest hosting today is our Lead Shorts programmer, Adam. Say hi, Adam. Hey, everybody. Before we get into discussing our first guest, let me tell you a bit about who we are and what we do. For the super beginners, Sif stands for the Calgary International Film Festival. We're the largest film festival in the province and the sixth biggest in all of Canada. We decided to start a podcast because we thought it would be a fun way to connect with filmmakers and share our love for cinema. This show is all about bringing insightful and entertaining content surrounding the world of cinema in a way that is snooty, but accessible. Our guest today is two-time Academy Award nominee, Ben Proudfoot. Now, some of you might know Ben's work from his last Oscar-nominated film, A Concerto is a Conversation, which told the story of film and television composer Chris Bowers and his grandfather, Horace Bowers. It was nominated for Best Short Documentary Film at the Oscars last year. It's an absolutely moving and beautiful film with an even more beautiful score. Totally deserved nomination. Well, he's done it again this year with the extraordinary film The Queen of Basketball. This film showcases a legendary woman and pioneer of women's basketball, Lucy Harris. She won three national championships, played in the 1976 Olympics, and was even drafted to the NBA and yet nobody even knows who she really is. Here to tell us more about the Queen of Basketball is the director, Ben Proudfoot. Hello, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm good, Gabby and Adam. How are you? We're doing great. We're so excited to have you on our very first episode. This is the first episode? This is the very first one. Oh, so that's why we had to work out all the That's why we're working out all the kinks. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's an honor. It's an honor to be the first. First of all, congratulations on your second Academy Award nomination. Thank what you. an overachiever. Are you just tired of getting nominated <laughs> for Oscars now? Or are you just well, like, you oh. know, for us in the documentary field, it's a little different. Like my name is on the nomination, but really so much of it is about the story and the person in the story. In this case, it's Lucy that people are responding to. So, of course, it's an honor, but really it's an honor for her and, and her family. Right. And I'm sure for, for the whole team that worked on the film as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's probably 100 people that contributed to this film in a significant way. We're all just totally thrilled. I know we screened it for the festival. We played it at our fall festival in September. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Adam, who's our shorts programmer, actually admitted it into the festival. So he'll be great to Thank talk you, to you Adam. about <laughs> Yeah. It'll be great to talk to you about that. We'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that in a bit. So we're hearing you now in the year 2022, successful Mm -hmm. documentary filmmaker. But you did used to be a champion magician. So and from Halifax, Nova Scotia, like a fellow Canadian. How does it happen that you got from there to now making films in L.A.? How much time? (laughs) It's that was literally half a lifetime ago. So when I was like 14 years old, I went to Kitchener, Ontario to compete in the Canadian National um, Magic Championship. And I won the junior sleight of hand for close-up magic. And I was right when I just first started getting into magic. And my mentor, Patrick Drake, he won the senior. So we both, Nova Scotia took home both titles, which made us very proud. That kind of kicked off the whole magic thing. I met a magician there named Jason Latimer, who was from Los Angeles. He was the world champion at the time. And he sold me on the idea of coming to Los Angeles to join the Magic Castle Junior Program. Of course, I could not afford this. And my parents were not prepared to send me to Los Angeles. So 
that's when I started to be an entrepreneur and do birthday parties and cocktail parties and oh, stuff wow. like that, doing magic <laughs> tricks. And I had this Canadian championship thing. So people liked that. And I could charge a few hundred bucks to come up and do card tricks for an hour. And that's when I really kind of honed my skills as a magician. And I, every time I got some money, I would come out to the Magic Castle, which is this Victorian mansion here in Los Angeles. That's kind of the epicenter of sleight of hand magic in the United States. And then as my interest in magic transformed into movies and filmmaking, LA just seemed like the place to be. And I really became obsessed with getting into University of Southern California's film school, which I was rejected from. (laughs) But I came as an undeclared student to USC and I had a good scholarship from the university. And then I was never accepted into the film program that I wanted to get into, but I did get into the film school and became a film theory major, critical studies major. And that was my major. And then I started my company as I graduated in 2012. I mean, that's awesome. Obviously, some of those entrepreneurial skills come in handy when you're like, you know, shorts filmmaking, notoriously not the most lucrative form of filmmaking. So I'm not sure it's yet. Come handy. Not yet. <laughs> it's coming. Well, like Gabby mentioned earlier, we did screen uh, Queen of Basketball at SIF last year. We screened it with actually a great feature film. It was an Icelandic film about a young girls basketball team. Oh, I love that. Who was trying mm. to trying to make it and play against the boys basketball team. Raise the bar. Raise the bar. Okay, raise thank bar. you. Mm. <laughs> it's yes, called Raise the, the bar. bar. So it was this perfect pairing of like female-oriented basketball stories. I saw your film when it premiered at Tribeca, and then I think it came out on New York Times shortly afterwards. And I was sharing it with like all my friends and everything because I loved it. I'm a pretty big basketball fan. Like I, I followed basketball my whole life, and a lot of my friends are too. But nobody had ever heard of Lucy Harris or this story, which is like she's arguably the best or like greatest female basketball player of all time. Yes, indeed. So my question here is like, how did you hear about this story (laughs) and what made you want to tell this story? Yeah, so I wish I could say as the world's expert uh, on basketball, I had always known about this story, (laughs) but it's actually it's the total opposite. I did not follow basketball. I'm not a basketball expert. And wasn't even a basketball fan. Right? The, the extent of my basketball involvement was playing horse with my friends. <laughs> I was going to ask, have you ever I shot was... a basketball? Have you ever <laughs> yeah, I mean, dribbled? literally, I okay. might as well never have touched a basketball. <laughs> I think that might have been why the story stood out to me, because I had literally no context. So when I first, Haley Watson, who is my colleague and friend who recommended that I look up Lucy's name, When I Googled Lucy's name, I think it was her Wikipedia page, which is very brief, started with this list of superlatives. First and only woman officially drafted into the NBA, which I had to read like three times. First basket scored in women's Olympic history. Led her tiny Mississippi Delta team to three national championships. First woman and the first woman of color inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Oh my goodness. And there was no footage of her playing. Her Mm -hmm. name was commonly misspelled, Louisa, L-U-I-S-A, rather than Lucia, L-U-S-I-A. There had been very little, very scant information about her since 1978 when she stopped playing. And I just thought to myself, why? This person should be printed on our money. (laughs) I mean, this this is a very significant historical figure and seems to me one of the most accomplished athletes of the 20th century. And it was also very easy to get in touch with her. You know, it just took a couple of days of phoning around and here she was on the phone. Hello. 
And I explained who I was and that I was interested in talking to her about making a film about her story. And she said, sure, yeah, come on over. And <laughs> that, that all, was of those things, all of those things combined just led me to believe, I think just people just haven't paid attention to this story for whatever reason. Right. As soon as I sat down with her in Mississippi and she's told me her life story over the course of 11 hours, and we found this incredible treasure trove of archival that no one had ever seen before or even cataloged. I had this huge pit in my stomach and the pit was, I better not screw this up because this is an important story. And now it's important to me and I know it's important to her and her family. So we worked around the clock for a year and a year and a half trying to fit this huge, enormous story into the 20 minutes that you see in the film. Cool. Well, Well, I liked kind of what you said about maybe it was beneficial to have basketball as like a blind spot a little bit to find this story. Like if you were a big basketball fan and you're like, I want to make a documentary about a basketball player. You might have picked someone who was like more well-known or somebody like in the normal zeitgeist of basketball. There's a really interesting story, really charismatic person. Like Lucy, yeah. just like you see it on screen. It's like she's bubbly. She's charismatic. You just said she like, as soon as you called her, it was like, no problem. Yeah. Right? I mean, the truth, the truth is, right, is that a lot of people think as a documentary filmmaker, you need to be an expert at the beginning. And you certainly need to do your diligence before you finish and release the film. Mm -hmm. And you need to be in partnership with whose story it is. But you're actually in some ways better off being in the audience's position at the beginning, which is knowing nothing about the story or very little, which is where I was. I wanted to make a movie for myself, somebody that knew nothing about basketball, but would still be compelled into Lucy Harris's story so that as many people know about Lucy Harris as... Shaquille O'Neal. How do we achieve that? Well, it's not going to be with throwing statistics or a comparison of other players from the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about talking about her in the in the sweep of history and these superlative accomplishments. So in that way, the bias that basketball fans have, which is if I haven't heard of her, she's probably not that important. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. So I was learning about her and I just looked, I was just reading her resume and it just like she had broken so many records and held such singular and superlative accomplishments that who could be better? Who could give her a run for her money? You know, she's the first and only in all these categories. And so it didn't faze me that I hadn't heard of her. It certainly intrigued me that no one else had. It always amazes me how much people just don't understand how easily a person or a person's entire story can just slip through the cracks of history. I mean, it's been happening forever. So the fact that people still have the attitude of like, well, if I haven't heard of them, then they must not be that important. I feel like this film just like kicks those people in the ass. Like, of course, there are important people you haven't heard about. And a lot of them are women and a lot of them are people of color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all about representation, right? It's like, who do we see? Who are the role models that we see that as young people are held up in front of us as here are the important people of history. Here's the narrative of what happened, right? Certain people decided who those people are. And the, and the rules of society have lifted up some stories and depressed and suppressed other narratives. I think we're in a great renaissance of looking back at history and saying, you know, maybe we need to look, look at the fine print again and go back to the sort of like, you know, firsthand accounts and really understand what actually happened and think critically and try to make sense of what actually occurred rather than just accepting the narrative that's been told to us by someone who has their own biases, their own agenda, 
I think it's no coincidence that Lucy Harris is an African-American woman hailing from the Mississippi Delta. Why were 40 boxes that detailed her entire college career sitting unscanned, uncatalogued in the back of this archive? You know, I, I, I know it's not the people that are looking over the archive today, but why wasn't that done 40 years ago? Especially considering that it was, you know, 40 years ago. That would be hard to catalog today, let alone now. Yeah, that's wild. So you, you mentioned that you're, you're hopeful that you would do Lucy's story justice, right? But what, what are you mostly proud of with, with this project that you, that you created? It's pretty simple for me. You know, I'm making the movie for one person and that's her. And so at Tribeca, when she saw the film and she loved it and she gave me a big hug and drew me near and said, thank you. That was good. That, that was it for me. I was pleased with that. That's the beautiful so, moment. Yeah. It is. It is a beautiful moment. And that's like really what it's about. That's the heartbreaking part. The second or third heartbreaking part of the story is that she's not here to see what's happening. You know, when we got shortlisted for the Academy Award in December, I think all of us couldn't help but imagine her on the red carpet, mm -hmm. right? Seeing her there is a very strong image, I think, that everybody on the team and her family had. And when she passed away so suddenly in January, it just sucked the air out of the room because our whole modus operandi was to give her her flowers, mm -hmm. figure out how to, you know, finally, after all these years, help her profit from her incredible achievements um, that had been so unjustly ignored. And so when she passed away, it just, it was a huge deflating moment for a moment through it all. And this is still, I think, a struggle, especially for her family, who obviously have lost their mother mm -hmm. in the last couple months here. I mean, I, I lost my dad a year and a half ago, and it's a devastating once-in-a-lifetime event. So we are all extraordinarily galvanized to, to make sure that people never forget her name. And just because she's not here does not make her any less worthy of the recognition. And so that's really been the focus of our team I mean, yeah. I think you guys have been pretty successful on that front because like that's, you know, that's the beauty of film. It's like this is on record forever. And like, imagine if you hadn't seen the story and then if anything had transpired, they wouldn't be documents. Like now you can watch her story and people can find it on YouTube a year, two years, 10 years later yeah. and still. hundred years. She's immortalized. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully a hundred years from now. And, and that's the best part of the form that we love to work with in documentaries. You can hear it from her. That's why it's so special that the Academy is is making her story part of cinema history with the nomination. So that's just another, hopefully another sticky way that the movie can have a long legacy. I guess some things that, that do help with this is getting a few of those big executive producers on board to help push push this story, push this yeah. message. I, I'm like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when I watch it at Tribeca, I don't remember seeing Shaq's name. When did he come on board? And then I just saw recently that Steph Curry has now Crazy. joined the team as well to kind of help push push Lucy's story to the to more yeah. people, right? So as, as as all filmmakers know, right, there's various stages of making a movie. You come up with the idea, then there's the pre-production, then there's the production, post-production, then there's the distribution and exhibition and promotion of the film. And especially for a short documentary where there's no money to be made. And there's no, it's a non-commercial event, like the, uh, every short documentary, I'm sure, is a, is a huge loss on behalf of whoever made it. You need to get the movie out there because no one's really willing to invest in a marketing campaign. 
because there's no way to recoup the money. Mm -hmm. For a story like ours, where it's so important to us and really the purpose of the project to make sure that as many people as possible see it, especially in this year, the 50th anniversary of Title IX in the United States that transformed you know, collegiate athletics and the way men and women's teams were being treated. We knew we wanted to get people in basketball with the largest possible platforms to flank Lucy's story and help lift it up to get millions of people to watch it. That was the most important thing. That's why our film is on YouTube for free. It's not behind a paywall. It's not somewhere else where you have to pay money to see it. Everybody on the planet Earth can watch The Queen of Basketball for free. Mm -hmm. And Shaq and Steph, who saw the movie and said, how can we help get this out? How can we co-sign this and help people watch it? That's what happened. And they, they were just activated by the story and said, what can we do to help? They have been incredible in just helping not only lift up the film, but also, you know, in, in the wake of her passing, Shaq supported the family with the memorial. They've just been incredibly generous and steadfast supporters. And that has really helped us get the word out there about the short documentary, despite the fact that there's no real commercial halo around it that usually is what brings a big DNA camp. I mean, that's so wonderful of them to do because, again, like their platform is like the biggest. I think Shaq is just will like he will. Uh, he's royalty. Of right? course. Like, yeah. Um, it's Shaq. Right? He's an icon. So, yeah, he's an icon. He has a massive hundred million person platform of people that love him. And he's also someone who spreads positivity. He's someone who brings a smile to people's faces. And he's also a fierce competitor, not not totally dissimilar to Lucy. Mm -hmm. And it's also important for people who either were in or are in the NBA to be allies, right? And say, we're going to take our platform and we're going to take our fame. And what are we going to use it for? We're going to use it to help people understand the story about Lucy Harris. That's sort of what I was hinting at with that, where it's just like the fact that they would take up the baton for this and then put it like I saw it on their Instagram pages. I was like, it's great because like you said, it's available for free. So literally you can see that post and go directly to the film and get Lucy's story right away. You know, it's not like they're it doesn't feel so much as a partnership as it feels like just like a genuine endorsement of such an important thing to share. I think honestly, what's so strange about this project is no one is trying to make money. (laughs) And people are kind of confused, like, what do you mean it's for free? Like, well, it must be the ads. Like, you know, no, we're just <laughs> trying to help everybody learn the story that they should know. That's it. That's the goal. There's no ulterior motive. There's nothing else. We just see a we see a wrong and we're trying to make it a right. That's the cure for cynicism. That's like so <laughs> the opposite of yeah. everything that we see today. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. It's time for the big question. Adam, do you want to ask him that or do I want to ask him that? The big question? The big question. Capital B, capital B. The one we're going to be asking all guests going yeah, forward. I'll, I'll go for it because it kind of led us into it here, talking about meeting at film festivals or meeting online and all, all that kind of jazz. We are a film festival. So, yes. and we are, we bring a lot of guests to our film festival. Lots of filmmakers come. I'm assuming you've attended many film festivals over your career. Do you have any cringeworthy or one cringeworthy moment that you remember from a festival? (laughs) One comes to mind instantly. So this was maybe 2015. And I had made a feature film documentary called Rwanda and Juliet. And it was about an American professor who, with the best of intentions, goes off to Rwanda to mount a production of Romeo and Juliet with children 
of the victims and perpetrators of the 1994 genocide there and quickly finds out that he probably should have asked a few more questions before (laughs) okay doing this the film premiered at the sheffield dock fest in sheffield england Mm. and so i traveled there and at the q a afterwards the british audience was incensed by the score they hated the music they felt that it was too big and they were wondering if i would be able to release the movie without the music (laughs) and that the music ruined the movie and this wonderful story had been ruined by this music which i thought was an incredible wonderful score maybe you know on the romantic side of things (laughs) it's Um, romeo and juliet you need a romantic score yeah, I mean, it, you know, I love like John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith. And you know, that's the kind of music that I grew up listening to. So my films have that kind of big Hollywood sound. And the British audience just despised just it. Just hated it. If oh, they had no. a tomato in their hand, they would have thrown it at me. It was like, <laughs> demoralizing. Oh, that's oh, wow. awful. Okay. There's my cringeworthy experience. <laughs> all right. That's all future guests, yeah. you got to stack up. Yeah, you set is, the bar pretty high. One. I wanted to ask you, what's next for Breakwater Studios? Are there any stories that you sort of have your eye on next? I know you said you work on multiple projects at a time. What's next for me? Yeah. Lots of stuff. <laughs> I, uh, this summer, we made a film about the history of the United Nations Children's Fund, also known as UNICEF. Ooh. So I full circled from collecting pennies in an orange box when I was seven years old and made this uh, film <laughs> called If You Have. That's going to come out in April. I'm sure we'll continue to do stuff with the times and of course we want to see through and continue the legacy of the queen of basketball and who knows there may be uh, a future film in the future too on that that sounds super exciting i can't wait that unicef project sounds super super interesting is that going to be available on youtube through the new york times not through the new york times but yes it will be available for everybody to watch all right keep an eye out for that one that sounds absolutely amazing ben thank you so much for speaking with us today and being our first guest all the best to you we can't wait to see what you come up with next Thank you. And I just want to give a shout out to my aunt and uncle and all my cousins <laughs> in Calgary and to Joey, Carl, Josh, everybody there. I love you. Hi, everybody. Now we're going to play one star reviews. This week, we're going to be focusing on Academy Award nominated films. What we're going to do is we're going to read a one star review that was left on Letterboxd or Rotten Tomatoes or what have you. And the guest will have to guess what film this person is describing based off their one-star review. So I'll go first. I'll read you this quick one. Oh, God. Okay. An Academy Award-nominated film. I'm all for suspension of disbelief. But Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent is always one step too far for me. I'm guessing it's Power of the Dog. It is Power of the Dog. You got it. You got it. One for one. (laughs) And I don't support this comment. (laughs) No, of course. Nothing about this is endorsed. Nothing. Yeah. Here's another one that you won't support, but you can try and guess. All right. Let's see. All right. Five stars for being a James Corden free musical. Is this Tick, Tick, Boom? It is. (laughs) Wow. You are absolutely killing this. (laughs) Okay, this was a little harder. This one was my personal favorite. It's very silly. I'm going to do the voice. Please don't make fun of me. He cooked the meatball. She murdered the husband. It's got to be House of Gucci. Yes! Oh, I'm so nervous about that one. I'm so glad you got it. Three for four. Do I get a prize or a hat or something? You know, We'll send you something in the mail. Yeah, being in lovely company (laughs) is the prize. A sticker? A pin? Yeah. Something. 
We'll, we'll send assigned, you something. Assigned napkin. I mean, three for three. That's like Lucy Harris status. Well, we got one more. AIAW championship. <laughs> there's one more. We'll see if you can do four for four. Oh, there's four. Uh-oh. There's four. This down. is the last one. I think you'll get this I one. I think you might get this one. It's probably about my movie. I, I <laughs> Don't spoil No it. spoilers. When I saw Shaq's name as a producer, I realized this was Shaq's effort to catch up to Kobe in number of Oscar wins. <laughs> I'm going to have to say the queen of basketball. Oh, we're so sorry. That's wrong. Just kidding. Just kidding. You're absolutely correct. Do we want to move on to the next game? This game is called Why Are You Booing Me? I'm Right. It's essentially hot takes. Guests will come on and defend a controversial movie opinion. You know, I I really love War Horse. <laughs> okay. And and Lincoln, but I love Warhorse, the Spielberg movie, and I feel like people didn't like that movie enough. I loved Warhorse. I thought Warhorse was such a great sweeping movie. It had fantastic performances from a technical perspective. It's a masterclass. I mean, people know how difficult it is to make a movie with a horse at the center. <laughs> and it's this beautiful emotional movie. It's about there's this great relationship between the father and the son and that whole thread. You get to go through history. I mean, it's a fantastic original movie based on like an incredible stage play. And I just think that movie should have gotten a lot more love. And it has an incredible score, beautiful score by John oh. Williams. John Williams Devin, did the score? Yeah, Spielberg. So, you know, Devin England, you know, Janusz Kaminski just shot the hell out of this. Rick Carter's production design is beautiful. Everything about this movie. I love, I've watched it <laughs> okay. 20 times. I can't find maybe one or two people who I know love it as much as I do, but that's my controversial. Oh my God, give Warhorse its flowers, yeah, please. This I, sounds I amazing. Say, you're probably going to be the only person defending Warhorse that we get from this podcast, <laughs> but that's, that's a pretty Warhorse solid endorsement. Warhorse. Solid endorsement. And a solid controversial full yes, opinion. Yes, yes. They built film. a thatch roof house for the film. You, have you seen it? <laughs> No, I've never have you seen, seen it. Warhorse? I haven't seen it actually, but I'm going to well, you, you better check out Warhorse. I'm putting it on my letterbox watch list right now. And you better not be a one-star review. Not lying. <laughs> That's for the next one. The next guest you got to listen in. It'll be like I hated the roof of the <laughs> Yeah, we'll put Warhorse in. <laughs> I hate horses and John Williams scores. Um no, great turn, great turn. Great first turn at the game. That's amazing. Great. We'll keep this game. Thank you so much, Ben. Do we want to cut recording? Yeah. I think we can cut recording. Okay, that's a wrap.